This is Jeremy Corbell, and you are listening to That UFO Podcast. That UFO Podcast is powered by Zencaster. Zencaster is one of the world's leading platforms for recording and hosting podcasts. The open beta strives to put the power of studio quality remote video production into the hands of anyone with a story to tell. Features include HD video recording, studio quality sound, chat and footnotes. All running right from your browser so you can record from anywhere without ever installing anything. Check out the links in the show description to find out more. I'm going to move on before we get to listener questions. Uh, Something I want to reach out and talk to you about, Jeremy, is cataclysms. This is something that came up in the vernacular in the last year. John Ramirez, ex-CIA, Ross Coulthard, uh, Frank Milburn and others have talked about hearing from sources that there have been impending cataclysms on the horizon they've heard about when it comes to UAP. Is this something you've ever come across or heard about from your sources? You know, look, man, the sky is always falling. I don't know. Everybody, you know, everybody has a different uh, perspective. Uh, UFOs have been with us forever, man. They've been part of the human experience for for as long as we know, since since as long as recorded human history. Some people's, like the military perspective is, you know, if we can't identify it and it's in our restricted airspace and it outmaneuvers, outperforms and outpaces anything that we have, Obviously, this could be a potential threat. So this is just a a perspective point of view, which is that uh, this presence that has been with us for a long time, some people believe it's, in quotes, prepping the battlefield. And and I can't argue against that. You know, maybe it is true. Have you ever read Childhood's End by Arthur C. Clarke and, you know, the craft end up like just hovering there for decades because they're acclimating humankind to it? Sure, we could be saying something like that. I mean, that makes for a good movie, and, and, and maybe it's true. I have no idea. But that's a military perspective that the UFO phenomenon somehow poses a threat to humanity because it's unknown. Now, that could very much be true. Right? I don't know, and I, and I can't say. But the idea of like a cataclysmic event, I mean, how many times have people you know, said this in relation to UFOs, I just, I don't see the evidence of what I see the evidence of is an increased frequency of the UFO presence engaging humanity. And 99.99% of it appears to be non-harmful to to humanity. There are, of course, uh, 1% that, that are very, very negative and directed and harmful. So, I don't know. I don't know what we're dealing with, and I I don't have any idea of a cataclysmic UFO event, but anything's possible. Let me just ask, on that 99% where they appear to be non-harmful, would that be indirectly? Or because we hear a lot of these objects are potentially giving off radiation, people getting too close to them, uh, pilots and other witnesses are, are getting strange cancers and burns. Do you think that's a case that these happen as a consequence of just the, them being radioactive or, or from somewhere else then? Yeah, not not all of them are radioactive by close proximity. So it's strange. The, the, the idea is this, that there are negative biological effects that can occur when people come into close proximity with a UFO. That That is certain, that is documented. And you see in the, the DIRDS, the Defense Intelligence Reference Documents that were put out by the DIA UFO program called AWSAP, Advanced 
Aerospace Weapon System Applications Program, that indeed there are these negative biological effects like extremely rare forms of cancer, um, degradation on a cellular and uh, DNA level. All of this was was highly documented scientifically. Uh, however, it is so interesting. People really took umbrage with this list of known effects in pop culture of UFOs. And they say, well, it was sourced from Penthouse magazine or it was you know, sourced from uh, tabloids and whatnot. So speaking with the heads of that program, the entire point of that appendix, Appendix A, was to document what in pop culture was associated with the UFO phenomenon. And there's something that hit the news, which was like, uh, un, un, uh, what was the exact word? It was like unknown pregnancies or something like that. Yeah. Uh, so it really got this like pop culture kind of media attention, which is probably good. But that appendix was just to create a baseline information of what has been told and said publicly in the public space. That's why Wikipedia was referenced in some of these documents. These people didn't know they were working for the government. They were generating these scientific reports. And then that aspect of Appendix A was just to create a baseline. So that baseline can then be referred to as, okay, here's what we studied, boots on the ground, 42 biological cases, right? And then what can we compare to what's been in popular culture and is the, the, the height of public information at this time, which does include Wikipedia, Penthouse Magazine, anywhere where there's a UFO story. So it's so funny how people twist things to try to uh, diminish the work that was done because they don't want to look at it for what it actually was. And I hope that really makes sense to people of what that Appendix A was and why everything was listed in there. It was so they could compare and contrast with the official UFO program what it is known in the public realm. Uh, and then as far as that negative biological aspect, yeah, it does appear that a lot of that comes from the close proximity to the propulsion system. This is what's uh, understood by, by a lot of people within the government who did study this, is that it's most likely some sort of association with that propulsion system. You know, however, of, and of course, there are cases that are much more directed that do look like hostile action, but that's that's not what's referenced in the majority of 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 that research. Um, you've talked a lot about uh, incidents within America. Obviously, that's that's where you're based, and that's where a lot of these stories and the the narrative is being driven from. I'm based in the UK. We've got a large portion of listeners based outside of the US. Have you had any interesting conversations with officials from outside of the US? And is there any potential for those leading anywhere interesting for us that are looking for a bit of outside assistance? Yeah. So the UFO phenomenon is global. It is homogenous throughout the world. Also, there are waves throughout time where there's highs and lows of sightings. However, there is and does appear to be an increased frequency or an increased recording because we now have better technology. Remember, this is one of the big reasons why we're able to spot UFOs now is because of the infrared signatures that we now know that are often created by UFOs. So it's something you can't see with the visual eye, but it's in a different spectrum of light. So I would argue that the increased frequency might not be an increased frequency. It might just be an increased observation, right? 
But again, that's happening around the world. You would be extremely surprised. I was extremely surprised on the individuals of, of high rank or stature who have and are in a position to alter the course of history, that are in position to help move the needle forward and expose some of this information that would end up calling a UFO, I don't know, filmmaker like myself. Yeah, I'm very uh, optimistic that other countries will be engaging this issue on a deeper level, all the way from civilian to politics, up into military individuals who, who believe this information should be a public record, that it is important for human beings in all of these countries to be aware of the fundamentals without releasing, you know, trade secrets, anything to, to, to tarnish national security. But again, understand we are, we are not in a place where we are working together as nations. Russia has their own UFO back engineering programs, as well as observation programs, as does China using their AI, which I think we also use. And then just every country you can imagine that's a technologically advanced nation, especially if they have nuclear weapons, are very aware of the UFO phenomenon and their ability for incursions onto sensitive sites across the board. So if I focus more on the US stuff, that's because I'm just fighting to get more information from international cases. One more question, Jeremy, before we move on to the listener questions, and I appreciate the time you've spent already. How do you view your own position within the world of, of ufology, if you want to call it that now? Uh, how do I view my position or role within the world of ufology? Um, I, it, the same as I view my position in the world. I'm, I am a curious person. I, I would like to know more. I am very proactive and I like to go for it. And, you know, you give me something, I'm a dog with a bone. Like I ain't going to let go of it until I get some sort of answer. And uh, I think my position is more than anything. I hope that the listener or the viewer would be inspired to make waves that they themselves can just like grab onto what they're interested in and, and help contribute to our body of knowledge to help, again, like build this map of understanding that we have. It doesn't take, look, I'm a PSA. It doesn't take special talent, man. You know, all it takes is that you go for it and that you don't let go. And you have to be a little bit sociable. I've been told I'm not the most sociable person, right? So I could, you know, I think you have to be a little bit sociable, but mostly you need to be able to build trust with people. They need to know that, that they can trust you and they're going to tell you the things that that maybe will lead you in the right direction. So I don't know if, if I had to if I had to choose a role, if I could project on you a role, right? My role would be. I really hope people would feel inspired uh, by my Inspector Crusoe investigations, where I'm constantly messing up, but at the same time, I'm always making progress forward. And I believe anybody can do that. Absolutely. Listen, let's get to listener questions. You saw how many were submitted just in the Twitter thread. I had DMs, emails, and all kinds of social media interactions. So let's get through some of these. Um, thanks to everyone who did submit a question. We're going to get to a, about a tenth of them if we're lucky. Okay, Jeremy, straight into listener questions. First up from Bliss Bax. Um, are minds such as Elon Musk and Neil deGrasse Tyson aware of or to any extent engaging with the AOIMSG or other groups? And do you think 
possibly being advised to avoid the UFO subject? Yeah, it's a good question. I don't think people need to be advised to uh, avoid the UFO question. I find it a real tragedy that Neil deGrasse Tyson makes these errors like, you know, comparing Navy warship footage to Instagram photos where you've got these FLIR pods, which are active targeting systems that are weapon systems and saying they look grainy. There's no grainy in these. So I I think that hubris is the number one thing that stops certain scientists from really looking at a a topic which they should be salivating over. Because again, this is uh, uncharted territory. We do have evidence. We have stuff now that can be analyzed. And very famously, Michio Kaku said, you know, the, the burden of proof is now on that these are these are not some sort of UFO and that these are just you know mundane things that can be explained like balloons because these are showing extraordinary propulsion capabilities. So it, it disheartens me that people like Neil Tyson, who who I did call out on Instagram, and to his credit, he did answer. But at the same time, I think it's kind of sad. Additionally, uh I'm not going to comment so much on on Elon Musk. I I think everybody can kind of read that he knows more than 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 he led on in a couple of his uh, inter- long form interviews. I think that should be obvious to people. Neil deGrasse Tyson was someone I used to really enjoy his podcast um, a few years ago before I started this, and then the the dissing of the UFO subject. But like you say, it's funny he he criticised the quality of of photographs and videos of UFOs when most of his subject they use pictures of the planets they find are just dimmings of light, and they then go and investigate off the back of the dimming of the light is this a planet what's the composition and they spend time on it and if you spent some of that time investigating the subject of these grainy videos then maybe you'd find behind that something as interesting as a foreign body a different planet or or something even more incredible can you can you imagine if everybody was if it was socially acceptable which is becoming more and more Hmm. to really refine the, the search for understanding when it comes to these obvious craft that are from somewhere else. We, we don't know who's making them. You know, they, they have to be made somewhere. They have mm. to be piloted, whether it be through an AI or through a, a physical being. Th- there's so much information that could be looked at and dissected. And, and we really need great minds. So I don't want to ostracize people and say, oh, shame on you for not looking at this. I, I please, I invite you in. I don't even need to do that. You should be inviting yourself in. You should be kicking down the doors. We need great minds, both scientifically, but also we need philosophers, man. 100%. Next question was from Walker. Walker always asks good questions. He asks, have you gained any new insights on the true nature of this consensus reality since delving into the UAP subject? And has the phenomenon taken an interest in you since you have been knocking on its door? Wow. Yeah. That gave me goosebumps, man. Uh, You know, consensus reality is often wrong. And we know this because we can look throughout history and see what consensus reality was and then what the truth turns out to be. I mean, this is a discovery on on the level of Galileo, right? So we have big misunderstandings from time to time throughout history. 
So I, I could say that consensus reality is, is very important because it is what we create policy off of. It is the, the discussions we're allowed to have is based upon consensus reality. So if, if anything, we should be reaching out to every kind of person that can look at this together. It, it's so important that the consensus is that this is, obviously it's real, the phenomenon, but what is it? What does it mean? What does it mean to us as humans? What does it mean to our space in this world, to our existence? What is our relationship to the phenomenon? This is so important. So consensus reality for me um, is something that needs to be addressed as we learn more information and slowly and surely over time, we're going to come to understand our universe in, in, a, in a more broad and inclusive way. Now, has the phenomenon, you know, the, the old thing, was it Nietzsche that said, or I think that's how you say his name, that said, uh, you know, when, when, when you look into the void, it stares back at you or something like mm. that. I don't know. Uh, you know the we'll premise, go with that. Yeah, we'll go with that. Okay, whatever it is. Like, you know, the premise of the question is, does the observer become observed when looking into this phenomenon? which is such an interesting question because we do know that the consciousness of an observer matters on the, in the microcosm, that it matters, that, that it changes the way our physical universe interacts based upon the awareness, I'll say, or consciousness of an individual. Is it possible that that occurs in ways we are yet to understand on a macro level? Does it specifically relate to the viewing of UFOs and the phenomenon, which includes UFOs, but is broader than UFOs? You know, I, I don't know if it's viewed back at me, right? Because maybe I'm just spending more time looking up, right? So I don't really know if, it, if there is that dialogue that occurs like a lot of people a claim that they've experienced, maybe, maybe it's true. But I will say that I've always wanted to see a UFO. I've always wanted to see a mothership, a Bob Lazar flying saucer. I mean, who wouldn't? Yeah, and I would also love to ride in one. You know, that would be cool. Uh, I, I will say that I did see a UFO. Finally, after all these years, um, undeniable absolutely undeniable a technology that that is impossible something that just doesn't it just doesn't exist i just you know that we have and and luckily i saw it with a good friend who is way more credible than me and so maybe you'll hear more about that later i don't know i got i got lucky and but i was very dissatisfied you know because i wanted to see a specific kind of ufo you know yeah i want to see a saucer a mothership. You know, I take so many accounts every week from people who I never report on, but they, they tell me and they're credible witnesses from our military or law enforcement, and they've had incredible encounters. And sure, I would, I would love that one day. So I don't know, does the phenomenon look back at you? You know, I would hope so. We all want a little bit of attention from that, which we're looking at, right? It's like when you see a beautiful girl and you're really hoping 
Did they see you too? <laughs> Do you know, to, to the opposite of that effect of someone wanting to see you, it made me think Hollywood example of the end of the Truman Show where he's been observed the whole time. And when he starts to notice, they, they let him away with it. You know, is he looking at the camera? Is he doing this? And it's fine. But when he starts, when the observer or the observee starts to become the observer, they start to push back. I mean, he's on that boat going across the water and they're like, hit him with the lightning, hit him with the water, hit him with the waves. Is that, in, in essence, you know, you'll get a bit of pushback and that could be that hitchhiker effect your, your friend George Knapp has talked about. And are we at that point where it's it's pushing back a little bit because we're not supposed to be observing as much as we are? And I suppose the question then is, do we get across the water to the other side, to that door and see what's on the other side of it? It's a, it's an extremely fascinating question that you just put forward. It's this idea that whoever these visitors are, whatever they represent, they could reveal themselves at any time, right? So here we are where obviously there, there are moments when the phenomenon reveals itself and, and it, it, it shows like a, like a performance. It shows you what it wants you to see is, is, is what it appears. So this idea that, you know, look that, you know, that one of these craft could come a mothership hover over the white house, like independence day, hopefully not blowing it up, you know, but it's like they, whoever operates these craft obviously are in control. They're in total control. There are times when it's like a car crash, bam, you just, you stumble upon it. This is something that, that a lot of people have experienced that they're not into UFOs and never read a UFO book and bam, they just see this and experience this encounter. So sometimes it appears that we catch the phenomenon off guard. And, and that's really interesting. There, there's other times that, that are definitively the UFO phenomenon can be baited. And it, it takes something really um, interesting to be able to do that, right? But, but the, the phenomenon can be baited. This is something that's been tested and it's something that, that was successful every time. So I don't know, man, is the, you know, kind of the bigger question, is there some sort of resistance to be known or, or obfuscation that occurs from, I don't know, the visitors, like whoever's operating or piloting these craft. I, I would say they are highly aware of our technology, highly aware of our ability to, to document their performance. And there have been evasive maneuvers that are very uh, verifiable where, where these objects or whatever it represents does not appear to want to be seen or documented in the same way. I know that's really hard for people to, to just take you know right off the bat, but it's something that I am uh, convinced of at this point. Yeah. And that baiting, obviously, you're, you're aware of what that is. Most of us seem to go along the lines of it's some form of nuclear material, and that's why these objects hang it around is. huge, huge U.S. Navy vessels and warships because they're they've got that nuclear capability. There, there's a there's a huge correlation between our ability to deploy nuclear weapons and the phenomenon itself, and that has occurred since the initial test uh, of our nuclear weapons. Moving on, uh, Jeremy, we've got a lot of questions still to get through. Adam asks um, that there is a rumour that Harry Reid left your friend George Knapp a video to be released upon his death in or around that time. Have you heard any anything of those rumours? 
that that is incorrect. That is incorrect. Jo- George would have released it if that was the, the case. Fair. Uh, Ryan Terry goes straight in with, Jeremy, what is your best guess of what the phenomenon is? And actually, I've narrowed it down a little bit to, that's quite a big question. What do you think is behind the buzzing of these US Navy videos or these US Navy ships in these videos? Yeah. So we don't know what's behind the buzzing of these you know, Navy ships in 2019. We, we don't know what's behind the, the TikTok UFO event series, UFOs event series, right? So with, with both of these cases, the, in the TikTok case, you have Commander Fravor and he's seeing this object and it's, it's moving over a round disturbance in the water that appeared to be like boiling. It was a disturbance of white water. But underneath that white water was an object, and that object was appeared from the from the altitude to be cross shaped. You know, it had like a, like a T, and this object was doing something. So, in the words that were said to me initially in pre interviews before I ever released the first recorded interview, it was that they appeared to be like docking with whatever was there, but just above the surface. I don't know what that means, but that was the impression. Now, the tic-tac, although there were many tic-tacs over like a nine-day period that were recorded by many visual systems, it was like moving as if you'd shake a ping-pong ball in an empty glass, back and forth, completely void of any effects of inertia, right? So normally things would explode or whatever. So this thing is moving in a way that is so erratic and strange, but back and forward, back and forward, and then came up and mirrored the craft of uh, Commander Fravor when he went down to engage. So I don't know. I don't know what's behind these events, but I, but I do know that whatever is behind these events, that the, the UFOs, as we call them, or, or the craft, as I would call them, that they display properties. And this is from eyewitness testimony from classified documents, from unclassified documents as well as just from, uh, you know, cumulative information that whatever we're seeing, that they're doing something, whatever they're doing, I don't know. But definitely in 2019, it was a performance or a display. It was very obvious and it was uh, to just push the edge. That's what these things were doing. And no, they're not Russian. They're not Chinese drones. This is something more unusual than that. What do you think of the idea that the the tic-tac above the water and the object underneath, that the two objects were both uh, massive whales that were just at a cross section? <laughs> Flying whales? Un- under, cool. the wa- under the water, though, that if those two, if those large objects, maybe the tic-tac was observing something and it just at that height, it looked like an object or do you think there's enough data that would indicate no there was something solid oh, underneath no, no. yeah there's there's certainly enough data that was what was under the water what cross shaped was not a natural phenomenon yeah like a, like an animal yeah yeah no that that's something i'd heard put to us before but yeah that the tic-tac was potentially observing yeah. whales yeah, people people just say 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 whatever comes into their head and you know they're on twitter and they can just say whatever comes into their head the, the evidence doesn't support that. The, you know, that, that's a, a data-poor perspective when the data-rich perspective is looking at the totality of, of the information. You know, this is the problem with the neurosis 
of the conspiracy theorist debunkers, you know, which is that, oh, there's a glare on the windshield. And then all of a sudden, everybody saw the same glare at the same time. Not only that, but radar picked up your glare. If you look at the debunkers perspective and you look at it soberly, it's disingenuous, straight up lying to you, and then also excluding information and data that doesn't fit the perspective. So it is a literal mental illness that you see perpetrated on you on Twitter and that kind of thing by people. If, if you accepted what the debunkers would say about the Tic Tac, you would accept that there was some sort of mental disease going on with one pilot and then each other pilot got it at the exact same time and that they all saw like a glare in the windshield at the same time and the radars picked up that glare as well as the other optics and other radar systems that were not on that specific location that were you know through the ASA putting all the information together it's absolute absurdity if you don't get that yet then you are not looking at the information the debunking of these events is absolute frivolous absurdity it is mental gymnastics to the point where it's worthy of a gold medal and if you give it that mental space, then really, honestly, it's a waste of time. I'm sorry. Next up, Simon had a good question. Hopefully it's got a good answer. Has Jeremy seen or heard of the gun cam footage from the Phoenix Lights incident that was mentioned in the J.J. Abrams UFO documentary? I am unaware of any uh, footage other than what is public at this time that is uh, as compelling as the footage that's public at this time. Yeah, I hadn't heard of that either or, or seen anything to that to that cause. Uh, hey, Jake, but look, whoever said it, they heard about it. So go fight for it and get it to us. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, James Mitchell asks, from what you have seen collected and not yet released, do you think it's possible to acquire high quality UAP data outside of the government? What equipment do you think needs to be used? And also, what do you think of the work of organizations like UAPX? I think any work to document and you know film the UFO phenomenon is a worthy effort. I think uh, we now have consumer-grade products that are just incredible. You can get a camera, have it retrofitted into the ultraviolet range as well as the, the infrared range, which are both outside of the visual range that you'd normally capture on cameras. So uh, the equipment that should be used is is one question. The other is, am I hopeful for, you know, footage and, and video that, that will be coming out in the civilian realm. Like, absolutely. But look, the, the, the fact is our military has the best toys. Our military has the best and most expensive, you know, toys that can target and, and record this stuff. But consumer grade, uh, you know, quality of, of uh, mat material and, and devices is getting so much better that, that I am optimistic that uh, there will be multiple vantage points of the same event documented in multiple spectrums that then can be used to help illuminate uh, the UFO presence to some degree. Yeah, I think I'm very optimistic for it. Yeah. What about the Galileo project led by Avi Loeb at Harvard? Yeah, I think it's great, man. Again, anything that is looking at the UFO phenomenon on every level from just, you know, scientific to from the civilian world, I think it's it's all really important. You know, I would say it's kind of disheartening. Everybody's trying to reinvent the wheel. You know, you create these optic systems and you're looking up to the sky through an atmosphere. We have weapons-based platforms that are in orbit right now that have a technology that is so astounding that you can read the label of a 
soda can from outer space. We've had that for decades. So it's sad that we have to continuously reinvent the wheel. But at the same time, maybe you just need a wheel that bad. And speaking of those types of wheels or that technology, um, the bearded UFO guy, Gaz, asks, do you think any technology we see and use today could have come from crash retrievals? Yes. Any particular genres of technology or anything you would care to name? M- the material science. So so the uh, our, some of our understanding of material science and how to do atomic layering, uh, how to create metamaterials, such as like graphene is a great example. Um, that was just used with scotch tape, on basically on pencil lead, I think. But it was like, you know, it, it's a superconductor. And so it, it's really cool. If you hold a piece of graphene and you, and you push it into an ice cube, it instantly sinks in like a hot knife through butter and then bam, your hand gets cold and it stops dead in its tracks. And depending on the orientation of atoms, you can actually have more penetration into the ice cube compared to less. I have two pieces of it myself. One is a three degree variant of atomic layering. And the other is like a seven degree variant. And you can see that its ability to be a superconductor is much better with perfect, more perfect atomic layering. So yeah, it is possible. And I do believe that there, and it's an informed belief, that there is material science that has been uh, generated from the reverse engineering of alloys that were associated or parts of what we'd call UFOs. I've been looking forward to this next question. I purposely didn't follow up on something you said earlier because I knew this one was coming up from Mike. In your recent Fox News segment, you talked about piloted craft. What type of evidence is there for this? And like the videos you've released, are there multiple data points? Yeah, there's a lot of data that, that goes along with this, some of which would be, you know, kind of in the in the public record. Let's start with the, the fundamentals, which is that when you have witness testimony and, and, you, and they talk about occupants in the craft, you know, that is something that's been with. So, so if you accept one thing that UFOs are real, you start to accept, well, if people are seeing UFOs, well, are there other types of encounters? And yeah, of course, there are multiple, uh, multiple, I mean, there's tons of encounters where people talk about there being beings. Think about the aerial school where we have those landings at, at, at the school and two of the females that were closest to the craft and to the beings. They both describe the same thing. And, and, and it's incredible beings there, but also just the design of the craft themselves. So if you are at the point where you've read the New York Times and heard what has been said about our exploitation programs, which by the way, there are exploitations regarding UFOs. So that means like reverse engineering and that kind of thing in every branch of our military durationally. SAP, special access programs that deal with all aspects of the UFO phenomenon from visual sightings to imagery to everything from language to biology to chemistry. It, it's pretty incredible. And, and look, I'm, you, you'll just have to see what time reveals about that. But the craft themselves, the design of the craft themselves are oftentimes indicators that they are piloted in some way, that there are some sorts of beings on those craft, not just an artificial intelligence, but actual physical beings. Now, if we go deeper into that, uh, yeah, I have been exposed 
to credible information that is not public that would uh, suggest and and would also corroborate that idea. And, and I think that anybody that's involved in this long enough would have to come to the determination that if UFOs are real in the sense of machines that, that are technologically advanced to ours, somebody had to make them. Some of them are piloted, some are scouts, some are small, and some are giant. John asks, regarding UFOs seen underwater, or USOs, do these actively engage with US ships or submarines under the water? Do they actively engage? Okay, there's a difference between passive engagement and active engagement. Um, Do they actively engage? Well, UFOs have been picked up not only by submarines, but by a complex series of reconnaissance technology that we have linked all around our oceans. So, so I mean, the answer is yes, in that there's UFOs under the water just as much as there are in the sky, if not more. <laughs> I found it quite interesting when I spoke to Lou Elizondo last week, I asked the question about why do these objects appear to go much slower when they're underneath the water than they do when they're in the sky, potentially? And he mentioned that's more than likely due to our technology only being able to pick up certain speeds and that they more than likely do go a lot faster than what we're actually picking them up. And it's our limitations, which was a pretty interesting answer. That's a a very accurate answer by by Lou. You know, he's always on point. That is a very specific, accurate answer. You should take that one to the bank. Oh, I have, yeah. I've cashed it in. Um, Next up, Dave Smethurst asks, you've mentioned at least four other UAP programs running at the same time as OSAP. Can you tell us any more about those? I'm not sure those were my exact words, by the way, but uh, no, I can't tell you anything more about that. And again, I think the the more important uh, thing to take away is that there are active UFO exploitation programs in every branch of our military and intelligence protected under SAP, Special Actus Program. Sometimes they are moved into private industry, not only to avoid uh, FOIA and Freedom of Information Acts, but also because the technologies that we need to analyze and interrogate some of these materials, craft or otherwise, they are best held and utilized by, by some of the makers, by people that are in private industry. So yeah, stopping with that one there. Okay. Um, yeah, I don't, I, yeah, I'm not sure what else to say about that at this time. I, I will reiterate that there is a repository described to me as a museum of paper, right, on the first level, uh, at a location that has been accumulating this information and data about UFOs again durationally, so all the way back before the beginning of Project Blue Book. And, I, and it continues to this day, and it is a multiple agency uh, endeavor, and uh, I am sure of that. And that would be great if we could get more information about that, which I intend to do and put out. 
and hopefully that UAP task force that's getting set up or ASRO AOIMSG can get hold of some of that information or is that a bit of an issue? Yeah, it's going to be really interesting. Like, uh, I don't know how, let's not go too deep into the politics of it, but it it was a, the UAP task force was a temporary uh, situation and it was staffed by very few, I want to say individuals and they were doing their best, but they also had issues where, where people were trying to alter their ability to get the information through clearance levels. So there was a lot of issues with that. And, and now, you know, Congress and Senate screaming for, you know, the start of a, of, of a new era of transparency. Really important. Glad it's happening. But it's going to be a, an uphill battle but a battle that we're all going to fight. Um, Shardul asks, in a hypothetical scenario, if aliens landed and we established proper communication, are there any burning questions you would ask them? And would you even be inclined to believe their answers? Right. Would you be inclined to believe those answers? Well, we, we have this you know long relationship with the occupants of some of these craft that has been very disingenuous. I mean, it's been something where you, you have a lot of falsehoods being portrayed to people. So would I be inclined to believe it? Well, it depends what's shown to me. I mean, I, I would like to know, obviously, about what the, their technology has taught them about the nature of the universe, right? So the way that it's made up, where are we? How, how vast and expansive is this? How many other civilizations have been able not only to achieve a level of technological advancement, but also like who got the cheat sheet? Like are there elements that are more abundant on certain star systems that are heavier elements that made it easier for them to achieve gravitational propulsion? I would ask, you know, I would have so many cool things. That, I mean, so many things that I would like to know the answers to because they would be cool. Uh, but other than the answers to the kind of fabric of reality and, and what we're seeing, what are we misunderstanding? And so, so that's something I'd really like to know because we, we don't yet understand gravity to, to any degree. So, so it's like, what are we misunderstanding? That is the, and, and my, my last question would always be, what's the best question that I have failed to ask? Cause I ask that in every interview that I do. Uh, other than that, I, I would like to find out if, um, Aliens have like beer and, and what it tasted like and, you know, anything like that. What is their music like? What is the, the culture like in some of these societies? What do they hold highest when, when it comes to their existence? What is the goal or the aim of, of their existence as, as a culture? Man, I would I would be so curious to have. Hopefully, uh, Joe Rogan's going to interview an alien soon. So we'll get all those answers. Well, do you know what? I would love, I'm at the point, I want the mystery to get deeper, where if the, the hypothetical White House lawn landing happened and some aliens came out the flying saucer and we showed them the pictures of the Tic Tacs and the black triangles and said, so are these yours? And they went, oh no, we have no idea what those are. Uh, just like, there we go. That would be, that'd be a good one. Taking it up the levels. Um, yeah. Two questions to go. Abby from ufoidentified.co.uk. Hi, Abby. Uh, can you please ask Jeremy, what is his reaction to some people's accusations of him gatekeeping and drip feeding the information he gets gatekeeping and drip feeding uh well 
uh, that is not true. I, I'm not gatekeeping anything. Uh, if, I, if I understand the question, I'm trying to get out as much information as possible, as rapidly as possible, but I need to make sure that it's credible information. I need to have a robust understanding of it. I need to have multiple corroborative sources that have all come together and said, this is true. I can use my sources you know, w- within government, within agencies, but also outside of government. And, and I try and I, I vet it through other journalists and through people that I respect and know that they have good connections. So if anything, I am working my butt off to get information out to the public. So I, I know it's like annoying when I say, yeah, I have more footage, but I do. What am I going to do? Lie to you? I do. But it, you have to understand if you've ever done the type of work that I do that you need to protect sources, that you cannot burn sources. You also don't want to be on the wrong side of the law. You also want to make sure you're not getting bear trapped into false or fictitious information. And you also want to make sure that you have the best quality information to back up what you put out. So I'm not gatekeeping. I don't remember the exact words, but I'm I'm not gatekeeping and I'm not holding back. I am pushing forward as hard as I can. And I'm doing it for, for you, but I'm also doing it for me. Because I'm interested in this and I want to hear what the public has to say. So that's kind of like, um, you know, I don't know, praise and blame is all the same. People can say whatever they want on Twitter. Look me in the eyes and say something. And you know what? I I see some of the abuse you and others get, like Lou and Chris Mellon and anyone who's involved in this subject, whether you agree or disagree with them. Like if you put out your now famous uh, high noon announcements, everyone jumps online to your social medias, your Instagram, (laughs) your Twitter feeds. And there is an element of showmanship and drama to that. But I appreciate the fact that, you know what, rather than just dropping an Instagram post or a tweet, you're alerting as many people as possible to there's going to be information at this time. If you all want to see it, be here. And to me, that makes sense as opposed to a random tweet at an unannounced time of day that says, here's a video. Yeah, well, let, let, let's break that down a second. So like, are you like, let's say I had all this footage and I was like, I was going to rent a theater and charge people to come into that theater to see it first. That's ridiculous, right? People that do things like that, um, th- that's crazy. So, but but you need, so I, I think everybody would agree that you need to prepare people to pay attention to something or it's going to get lost in the wash. Yeah. So announcing the time the day before you're going to drop something of consequence, I think is just good measure. I think that's something that you do to make sure that people are aware to pay attention. So look, people will say crazy stuff. Again, I I literally, it's water off a dock's back. I don't even read that kind of comment anymore. It it doesn't affect me because, uh, well, first of all, those people don't know you. I mean, it's like the people's opinions on Twitter. It's like, crazy. I mean, it's, it's nice when people appreciate what you do, but it's like, none of that affects me. I don't even go against debunkers anymore because they, they're, they have a neurosis. So the idea that you tell people something is about to drop. And by the way, high noon is the time to always drop something. I think that's fun. And I think it's good. And I think it serves a, a point that, that I think would be easily understood if you just thought about it for a second. If you're listening to this on the day it drops on the free feeds, it came out at high noon UK time. So just <laughs> there you go, Jeremy. And there we go. Oh, we should. Oh, we'll get in trouble if we announce that. Oh, you're oh yeah. So much trouble for letting people know where the interview's coming. 
Listen, it's always high noon somewhere in the world, isn't it? And (laughs) final listener question uh, from Richard. Do you know any research that is being done to try and answer why UAPs are here by the US government? Is there any research being done by the US government about why UAPs are here? Yeah. Yes. Not not yeah. just not just I think what they're getting at is not just what they are, but they've followed on with that. Lou Elizondo has said publicly, if the public yeah. knew the truth behind UAPs, it would be very sombering. Yeah, it might be. Um, I don't know. I guess it depends on what the truth is and how people relate to the truth. I, I again, there's a military perspective to something. And then there's other perspectives. I, I don't know the answer to that question, but the, the, I do know the answer to the question. You're asking, is there an attempt by our military to find out the intent, why UFOs, UAPs are here to begin with? And, and definitively, yes, that is, of course, one of the primary thrusts. But sometimes we are uh, relegated to just looking at the observables, right? So, so looking at what we can see these craft do. It's not like usually they're just coming down to have like tea and cupcakes with us, right? So yeah, there there's a, a major effort to attempt to understand the intent and perspective of why these encounters have been so long, why they continue so much, why there's such a variety of craft, and by the way, of uh, occupants of those craft. All of this is the big question. The big question is not only where they're from, but why are they coming here? I, I make the joke, do they like our, our top our top hats and our kimonos and our cupcakes? I, I, I don't know. Maybe they, they like our psychedelic mushrooms. I don't know why UFOs are here. But I will tell you this. It would take us a week and one satellite to map the entire surface of the moon. The UFO phenomenon has come in various forms and has been with us for so long in such a variety, with so many craft, in such abundance, clearly this is not a mapping issue. This is not an unoccupied mapping issue. There's something else going on. The ultimate answer, I don't know, but I really hope to find out. Let me ask you this to finish off. That comment from Lou Elizondo has become somewhat famous that he said the what he knows is somber. What yeah. you know, I'm not going to ask in protecting sources and everything else. What one word would you sum up to feel you to sum up your feelings on the UFO topic? Excited. I'm excited. Jeremy, I'll ask you just to let the audience know. Uh, thank you very much, obviously, for your time. What's coming next for you? Uh, we'll see, man. It's like day to day. I think right now I got to talk my take my dog for a walk, but uh, I'm not sure what's coming next. Uh, I, I I do know that you are g- going to be seeing more cinema from me, more films, more documentary work, and hopefully in the form of a series. You're also going to see uh, more footage and reports that I'm going to release through social media to make sure that that everybody can engage that information. Uh, Look, the future is bright. I am truly excited about the UFO phenomenon. I love being a part of something where anybody can be a part of it. Anybody can contribute. And it is an uncharted territory. We are all in the same boat together, trying, as you used the metaphor earlier, to get across the ocean, right? We're all trying to see 
you know, what this new vista and this landscape that we truly live in now, but we haven't quite understood it. What does it look like? And there's that old saying, you know, you got to lose sight of the shore to discover new land, right? And that's really what we're doing. We have to abandon these um, falsehoods of, of, of ridicule about the UFO topic. You know, it has become abundantly obvious that, that, that UFOs are real, that they represent a technology that's far more advanced than anything we've ever displayed in the theater of war or otherwise. And so what are we doing now? Where are we? Right. And so this is where we're all in this together. We need to let go of the past and we need to look forward and we need to see, you know, what this new landscape is, because I truly believe we are going to learn more, not only about the universe, but about ourselves. If we can start to make progress on this and we are making progress every day and tomorrow we're going to know more than we know today. Everybody should have patience, but they should be just dogged about it. Fight for it. You know, UFO transparency, you know. That is all for this week's show. Thank you very much for listening. Please remember to leave the podcast a review on your chosen platform. You can like, retweet and subscribe. That would all be very much appreciated. The shows are being uploaded onto YouTube as we speak more and more. You can sign up at patreon.com forward slash that UFO podcast to access the shows ad free as well. Please get in touch on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, that UFO podcast. Of course, on Twitter, it's at UFO, U-A-P-A-M. And again, folks, as always, keep looking up. You never know what you might see. It wasn't a tic-tac and not quite a saucer, more like a hubcap designed by Chaucer, a little Baroque and quite steampunk, like Alice was playing bass for the Parliament of Fuck. The little fucker hovered right outside of my window, and when I shut out the screen, he made it an issue. I don't think he expected me to see his ass, but I'd had some champagne and smoked a little Imagine how it could have been any better. I got to the top of the stairs and there he was. Like, you awake? I was about to abduct you, cuz. I jumped back and nearly kissed myself. And I climbed out the window after the elf. And I woke up in my bed and there was something on my head. And everything was weird and everything was wet. I helped out my boys. They thought this was noise. They thought it was a dream. They thought it was my toys. They thought it was my problems. And I think I should see because it doesn't really scare me. If you really want to know who I think they be, I think it's you and me and us and we and him and her and that and she and that thing over there and what's that, Jake? Consider your heart, consider time, consider your space, consider your lies, consider your life.